There was a lady there that lived in one of those populous cities in a very humble, poor area of town. An older lady who felt she could no longer be of use to God because she was old and uh, she couldn't give Bible studies anymore and she couldn't knock on doors anymore and she couldn't do outreach anymore. You know, Brazil is the largest Adventist country in part because uh, churches don't know any better than to reach out to others. So, <laughs> pastors simply reap what the members sow. And uh, one day in that town came a circus. Yet still today you can find that. I remember when I was a child, I was born and raised, as some of you know, in Argentina, which is just south of that. That's this country right here. This is a Brazil it belongs to the to a, in a very exclusive club, you know, if you know much about geography. Um, there are seven humongous countries in the world. Well, there's one that is humongous, that's Russia. And then, and then six others that are humongous. Uh, in order, Canada, the US, China, uh, Australia, Brazil, and India. And the eighth country is where I was born and raised, that, there. Anyway, um, there was a circus that came to town and uh, it set up in an open lot that was in front of this lady's house. You know, maybe two or three blocks squares, uh, you know, square blocks uh, large. A large circus, animals, clowns, acrobats, you know, about 200 people. And it takes several days to set that up. You know, you got elephants to deal with and tigers to deal with and all that. And as she saw, Brazil, Brazil, you know, Brazil, I'm always chuckle at, uh, at Brazilians when they say, whoa, well, because I'm going to go to Brazil in, in July. And she says, oh, that's going to be cool. <laughs> I come from Michigan, man. Um, you don't know what cool is. And, and, you know, Brazil is cool when it's 60 degrees. It's like going to Florida. Um, so... It, it, it came to town, and um, she looked at those people, sweating, you know, working hard, carrying this big, you know, big trunks full of stuff. And she prayed to God and said, God, what can I do? I can't do anything for people now. I can't, I can't give Bibles. I can't do, what can I do? I wish I could do something for these people. In the circus. And she kept praying that way that morning until a voice came to her and said, make lemonade. Make lemonade. Now that's not very profound. That's not very theologically challenging right there. Make lemonade. But she said, okay, I'll make lemonade. So she borrowed pots from all her neighbors. And she got whatever she needed, you know, whatever powders, whatever it is. And she made tons and tons and tons of lemonade. And then she called those guys out there. Whenever you get a minute and you have a break, come to my house. I have lemonade for everybody. 200 people. All right. And that's what she did. And she did that for several times every day. Well, she was so nice. The circus people said, who are you? You know, what, what makes you tick? Why, why do you do these kinds of things? 
And so she said, you know, I, I just follow God. I just, I just love God. And, and this is something that he told me to do for you. Well, that was even more intriguing. Oh, so God speaks to you? Oh, yeah, he does. And, and how else does he speak to you? Well, through the Bible. And so, oh, I, I'd be interested to know what God says. Maybe God has something for me to say and so forth. And so this lady that, that, that was moaning that she could no longer give Bible studies because she can't get around town anymore. She can't drive. She can't go out, out places. Then she says, well, maybe you, you want to study the Bible with me. You know, I'm happy. I, I live right, you know, I'm right across. You can come and study. Well, little by little, she had 80 people studying the Bible with her. All right. Now, this is a woman full of Jesus. That's what makes the difference. This is a woman full of the love of God. And so when you are full of the love of God... As Ephesians 4 says, you must speak the truth in love. That's what will make a difference. I've made many times the mistake of speaking only the truth. Some people make the mistake of loving without truth. Speaking the truth in love. Well, she did that. By and by, weeks went by. She had 120 people who were ready to be baptized. Ooh. 120 people, 120 circus people, including, including the owner, a lady. And so they decided they were going to be Adventist. But then they, thought, they stopped for a moment and said, okay, wait a minute. What about the circus? What are we going to do about this? Saturday is one of the biggest days, you know, and they have matinee and all of that, and all the kids come, you know, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 4, whatever it is. And um, what are we going to do about that? And so they thought, well, let's ask the ministers. And so they asked for a bunch of Adventist pastors. They summoned them, and they said, what shall we do about this issue? What can we do about the, the, the circus? And those pastors thought and reflected and <coughs> serious faces and said, well... Circus is probably incompatible with a, an Adventist lifestyle. You know, you, got, um, you have some of the acts that are, you know, and then, and then you got the Sabbath problem, and, you know, I, I would just let it go. You'll have to find another job. They said, thank you. They thought about it. They said, well, wow, somehow. These people were in love with Jesus now, okay? Somehow they said, I, I wonder if this is really what God wants us to do. So you know what they did? Yeah, they, all, all along, but they summoned another group of Adventist pastors. <laughs> and so a younger group of Adventist pastors. And that group of Adventist pastors said, Hey, why don't you make it into an, an Adventist circus? <laughs> and they said, Well, what a concept. Absolutely, it says, make this into an Adventist circus. Oh, yeah, well, an Adventist circus. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. The next Sabbath, the next Friday, they closed. They said a big, a big, a big sign, um, uh, you know, show closed until tomorrow night. Sabbath afternoon, show closed until tomorrow night. Well, that created such an interest because it's like, oh, what's happening? Oh, you know, everybody just showed up on Saturday night. I opened, at 9 o'clock, they opened up again, Saturday night. So they did their thing. They cleaned up some of their act, you know. Some of the ladies were not showing us much stuff and all of that stuff, you know. And, they, and, then, you know, and then halfway through the intermission, they, a, 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 a clown came out. And the clown just made him laugh some more. And everybody was having a roaring time. And then he became very serious. You know, once he was having them eat out of his hand, he says, 
You know, most of us come to the circus because we really want to have a good time. And many of us want to have a good time because our lives are not very good. And so we, we're trying to find a way of escape and to have a little relief for the pain of our lives and the difficulties that we face and the challenges that we have. And so he, you know, he preached a little sermon right there. And he says, but I tell you what, the circus will not do it. The, circles will only, the circus will only be a temporary patch on something that needs genuine healing. And I have found, just recently, he said, I have found that what really makes a difference is in what God says. And if you're interested, there are some cards out there. As you go out, you can sign them up. You can fill them out. And, and there will be people that will help you with their real issues in life. And so that's how they got every night. Every night they got, you know, Bible studies, you know, dozens of Bible studies, one after another, one after another, one after another, one after another. That's the Adventist circus. Within about three months, within about six months, they had 300 people they baptized. The Adventist circus. Think about it. What if that lady, what if that lady had not asked God, what should I do? What if that lady had not tuned her ear to the voice of God so that when God spoke, she recognized that as the voice of God? And when God said, make lemonade, she didn't argue and say, well, that's too simple. Or that can't be God. Or I could have thought of that myself. What if she hadn't done those things? Hundreds of people today would not know Jesus, would not be part of the remnant church. How critical it is for us to really listen to God and even as critical, as soon as we listen to God, to do it. To do it. Never fear to obey Him right away. Never fear to obey God right away. As soon as He makes something clear, never fear to obey Him right away. And that is, the, well, that is one of the biggest challenges that we have as, as, as humans. There is something in us that whenever we're getting close to God, there is something in us. Have you noticed that? Whenever we're getting closer to God, there is something that is also pulling us just as strongly away from it. Oh, man, this... You know, wretched men that I am, Paul said. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? That is this, this, this penchant we human beings have towards suicide. That's really what it is. Don't let it. Move forward in faith. Listen to what he says in, in, in Psalm 32 verse 8. I, when I was at Southern and, and you know, I had... There, there were two major reasons why students came to see me, besides their grades. <laughs> no, that was not it. Um, two major reasons. One is, what should I do about my vocation? I, I, it's not clear to me. The other one is, what should I do about marriage and about this guy or this girl? It's mostly girls that had, you know, about this guy. Guys thought they knew better, and so they didn't counsel, you know. And um, they just blew it, and then they had to learn it that way. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, those two questions. And I always had this text. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. 
I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, that's a beautiful concept. In other words, you know, even us as parents or as guardians or as people that are responsible for other people, we lose sight of people, right? When we should. Uh, big, big news on the, uh, big, big, big uh, news thing went with, you know, that little kid, Adam Walsh, 1981, you know, he was abducted when he was six years old. They finally figured out, the police finally settled who the murderer was. We are talking about 27-year-old murder. And how did it happen? They were in the mall, and his mother lost sight of him for a few seconds. That's when the perpetrator took him. Even loving people like parents would lose sight of our children, our most precious things. Our most, you know, talk with any parent. They will give their eye teeth for any, any second, immediately, for their children. God never loses his sight from you. He says, I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I am going to keep my eye on you. I know exactly where you need to go. I know exactly what needs to happen to you. Amen. So never fear to obey Him. Never fear to obey Him. Remember we talked about, I'm going back to the first time. We talked about this whole process of listening to God is the first stage of communication. And then it, that leads us to communion. And then that leads us to union, which is really what God really wants. Communication is only the first step. But it is communion that He wants to lead us to in eventually total union, being one with God about this. Now, let's examine the, the, the story that I have for us tonight, to today. When Abraham was first called from Ur the Chaldeans, God was moving him from communication to communion. How old was he when he was told, pick up your family and go to Canaan? Well, he didn't say Canaan, the land that I will show you. He was 75. Wow, he was 75. So, I know what some of you sharp minds are thinking right now. You're thinking, you know, I'm 22. If I have to wait until 75, the first time I hear God tell me something, that's not going to be too good. But you remember, <laughs> remember, Abraham didn't have the Bible. Abraham didn't have the spirit of prophecy. Abraham didn't have the abundance of knowledge and understanding about what God's will is. There's more chairs here. Let them in. Let them in. There are, I mean, raise your hands for, for empty chairs. There's about 10 chairs at least. <laughs> All right. Keep your hands up. It's okay. It's okay. You have, you know. And if you forgot deodorant this morning, it's okay. That's good of a reminder. I'm talking about those with their hands up. It's all right. Um, there's more out there. Good. He was 75, but he didn't have the advantages that you and I have. In fact, that's why it may have taken 75 years. But even at the 75, obviously God had been, I mean, Abraham had been listening to God to the point that when God gave him such a radical statement like, pick up your, your, your family and go to a land I will show you. I'm not even telling you, which is unheard of. That, that's the most radical thing you could ever say to anybody in the ancient world. As I mentioned the first time, people did not travel more than 10 miles around there. I mean, they lived and died right there and there. So, to hear, I want you to leave your family, leave it all behind, 
and go somewhere out there in far blue yonder. That was like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, that may be why it was at 75. Maybe God had been trying to say that to Abraham for 30 years before that. We don't know. But it may be why. But it, he had, didn't have the advantages that you and I have. Okay, we are eons ahead. Uh, hand raise again because uh, you, got, you got some more people needing to find seats. Right there, look for the hands. Look for the hands. These are the welcoming people that care about you. All right. But he was moving him to the area of communion because now Abraham was knew, he knew to recognize the voice of God, all right? Abraham was experienced at listening to God, the only one, the, the, the only one really listening. I really think, I mean, I've thought about this, you, you tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I've thought about this and I thought, why Abraham, why not somebody else? You know what, I really believe God was trying to communicate with a number of people but the only one that really, really responded was Abraham. God is not exclusive. God wants, to, God wants to do a lot of things for a lot of people. But the people that end up benefiting from that are the people that respond to him. And so, Abraham. Yet he was not perfect. Abraham still had a little problem with lying. He, he had problems with fears, you know. He would take matters into his own hands. He's, yes, he was still willing. In other words, he was still human. Very human. God was not finished. If he was to be the father of a nation, he was looking for somebody to do that. He would build that. A nation of faith, built on a faith relationship. He would have to experience union with God. Union with God. See, this is what God did. It says, okay, the first 2,000 years, I have this in another lecture, another kind of set of, of meetings. But um, I, I really believe that God shows himself in a Trinitarian way to us, to human beings. Let me just break it down in, in, in one minute. The first 2,000 years of our experience on earth, it was mostly through a paternalistic way. In other words, it goes, the, the emphasis was God the Father. And the emphasis was that we are creatures. We are creation of God. The next 2,000 years is through the Son. And that began with Abraham, who was born, by the way, about 2,000 years before Christ. And had the son of the promise, the only begotten. In fact, Isaac was called the only begotten because he was the, the unique son that shouldn't have been born. And that ended 2,000 years later with the Son of God, who is the only begotten, who also shouldn't have been born, right? So it was through the Son. God tried to make himself known through the Son. In other words, through the Old Testament, it was all through the sanctuary ministry, which pointed to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come, culminating in the life of Christ himself, in the actual, tangible life of Christ, God as man. The last 2,000 years, God is trying to communicate to people through the Holy Spirit. And that's why Ellen White says, ever since Pentecost, this is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And you know what that means? That means that he wants the world to know about God through his people. Because the Holy Spirit has no body. But you and I do. 
and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and the world will be convicted, you know, uh, John 16, verses 7, 8, the world will be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. How could the world be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment when God is saying He's not sending the Holy Spirit to the world, He's sending the Holy Spirit to you and me? Well, the only logical answer to that is the world will see the church. The world will see the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and then they will be convicted of truth, of, of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay? So, union with God is what God wanted to see happen with Abraham because he started a new method. He said it didn't work out with these pre-Diluvians. They had every advantage in their lives. What I'm going to do is to select a group of people. I'm going to birth them from the beginning. I'm going to work from the very beginning. I've got to find one person, though. I've got to start with one. And I've got to find one person who is really willing to trust me everywhere, in every way, every way possible. And so he says, this guy has possibilities. It may have been somebody else, but they, they never quite came to respond to God in the same way. As. So let's look at this text. Genesis chapter 22. One of the most fascinating stories in the entire Bible. You're acquainted with it, but I want us to read it anyway. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 3. Now it came about... After these things, I'm reading the NASB, that God tested Abraham. Interesting. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, this is not easy. I mean... Obviously, it's not easy because God has not asked any other human being to do this, ever, since or before. Hmm? And whenever God asks us something, it's not to make us fall. This is, that's the devil. Sometimes we think, it, we think it's God, but it's the devil. If, if God, it, the, devil, the devil makes demands and says, do this, and then when we go to do it, he trips us and says, oh, you didn't do it. Ha, ha, ha. That's the devil. God doesn't do that. God always tells us to do something we're in, our, in the best possible position to actually do it. That's when He tells us to do it. Uh, so that's when He told Abraham to do this. This is amazing. He is 120 years old, right? It's been 45 years since he was first. He first heard the, the word come out of Babylon. See, that's why Revelation 18, come out of Babylon. Start it with that. It'll finish with that. And, um, and he had problems with that, right? Because his wife was uh, infertile first and so forth. So he, he messed up, you know, with Hagar and all of that mess. And then a year before he's 100, God tells him personally, face to face, he says, oh, by the way, I want you to be circumcised. Now, that must have come as a tremendous shock. We're not shocked by the whole concept. We think about cleanliness, hygiene, and all kinds of good things about that. But he was thinking about mutilation of reproductive organs. That's in, so he says, is this, how is this going to help? How is this going to help, God? 
Oh, I want you to do it. Okay. I'm a hundred. My wife can't have children. And now I have to do something with this equipment? This is not good. So, but he did it. He obeyed. Boy, trust and obey, like the song says. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Boom. He obeyed. So the child came. Amazing. He's 20 years old. I have a son who's 20. He's 20 years old. And God says, by the way, I want you to sacrifice him now. Hey, weren't we working so hard for this child? Isn't this the son of the promise? Is it you who's speaking to me now? Or is it the devil? Huh? This is something we're going we're gonna to look at, okay? There are some hearing challenges. I want you to explore this because I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes here. First of all, a set of, uh, the first set of challenges. What was God's, that was, was that God's voice or Satan's voice? Because in that time, Abraham was surrounded by people, by pagan nations who sacrificed their children for the sake of God. That was evil. That was pagan. That was demonic. So he hears this voice that says, I want you to sacrifice the son. The logical thing to conclude is, well, that's the devil talking. Secondly, should I consult with others before such vital decision? I mean, a lot less important decisions we would consult with others about, right? And if it has to do with my son, something like that, shouldn't I at least check with my wife? That's an, an important question. And there are a set of questions. Should I delay until more details are given? In other words, you know, this is a cryptic message. Mmm, boy, <laughs> I better know more about this. What does God really have in mind? Is, he really, is this really what he means by this? Do, do you see what I'm saying? And you see, what, you see, you wrestle with some of the things that God may have told you in the past and how we, we process through some of this stuff and says, you know, I've got I to check with other people. Or, or, or you know, I've got to wait for confirmation, right? If anybody had a, a reasons to really process these three sets of questions, that was Abraham. Today, we have advantages, as I mentioned, that Abraham didn't have. The Bible, the spirit of prophecy, both are written word, the written word against which we can apply the spoken word. And I mentioned to you that the spoken word becomes more and more clear the more the written word is, is inside you. The less we know the Bible, the, the less God can speak to us. The more we have the Bible in our hearts, the, the more God can speak to us. Because it'll resonate, it'll, it'll make sense when he tells us something. All right? Even Jesus had less advantages than we do today. But he relied on whatever written word was available to apply the spoken word. So he had portions of the Old Testament available to him. Perhaps the entire Old Testament. But that was not a book like you carry to a... You know, all of you have the Bible. Jesus didn't have a Bible he could carry anywhere. He learned that at his mother's knee mostly. And he heard that at the synagogue. But you couldn't carry the scrolls. That was something that only the scribes had in special places. Back to Abraham. With such disadvantages, what was the key to his listening success? What was the key? All right, let's process this logically. 
God or Satan? Let's really deal with that first question. Was this God or Satan? Now, child sacrifice was never mentioned to him before. Right? It was always a promise of birth and of blessing. God never and ever gave Abraham a hint that eventually that son would have to be sacrificed. So this comes as a totally new thing. Huh? Child sacrifice was common in pagan nations, the very ones Abraham was surrounded by, and he was supposed to influence, not be influenced by. So that's, that's tough right there, right? Secondly, should I tell Sarah? Can you imagine that? Honey, wake up. God told me to sacrifice our child in Mount Moriah. Would you like to write a postcard as, you know, as we go out there so we can read it? I mean, really, you know, what's the, you know, the logic? And he says, what, you old man, you're off your rocker, you know. Should I tell Sarah, God made the promise to her as well as to me. That is true, right? That is true. When God talked about Isaac, he talked to Abraham and he talked to Sarah. It wasn't just Abraham. So this is also her son. So he could have reasoned that very well that way. Or should I ask her if God said anything to her too? At the very least he could have said that. He says, Sarah, did you have a dream last night? Did God talk to you about anything? You know, anything unusual happened last night? He could have at least done that. Of course, if he had done that, a woman immediately, you know, she will catch on and says, What's going on, Abraham? <laughs> Abe, you tell me right now, what is, what is going on? Did God tell you something? You know, and how is he going to get out of that one? So, should I tell Sarah? Those, those are really real questions he must have wrestled with. Thirdly, should I wait for confirmation? Did, would not be logical? Well, you know, God, I, you know, I need more information about this. I mean, you, did you really mean that? You know, I'm losing my hearing. I, you know, did you really say... To actually kill the boy? If I go ahead with this, nobody, but nobody, will understand why I murdered my son. Ellen White says that he was responsible for 300 souls. Do you think, do you really expect anybody to say, Oh, Abraham, I'm glad you were obedient to God. No. People were going to say, What came over you? I mean, that would have happened if that was not the son of the promise. But being the son of the promise, all the more. It's like, what's going on? Why would you do that? That must have been a demon who talked to you. The other one is, there must be some way I could get God's confirmation in this. Maybe I should pray about it for a few days. Wouldn't that be logical? Wouldn't that be reasonable? I mean, you and I pray for days with a lot fewer heavy, weighty decisions to make. I mean, we pray for, for less important decisions. We pray for more, for confirmation, right? Imagine that type of a thing. Well, whenever God speaks, get this etched in your mind. Whenever God speaks, what we do next, what we do immediately next, exposes the true condition of our hearts. Whenever God speaks to me clearly, what I do next really shows where I am. Look at this text. 
Genesis 22, verse 3. He heard this from God one night. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Wow. He didn't even wait for noon. He didn't even wait for the weekend. He, didn't, he rose early in the morning. Why? Tell me why. Think about this. Think about what scripture says. Why? Why do you think? Because what? Because so, so nobody else could see them and ask him about it. That's a, that's a good possibility. Before Sarah woke up, yeah, that's, I think that's getting closer. What's that? It was too hot later. Yes, that's very profound. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, it, 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 yeah, all of those are viable reasons. Okay, good. It was his usual time. He probably was. Yes? He obeyed promptly because he, maybe he was used to, to, to doing that. Yes? He knew that was God's voice, so he, he obeyed. All right? He couldn't sleep. <laughs> That's right. Might as well get going with this, you know. Uh, you know, you, you got a good point. After God tells you that, you know, you're not going to go say, oh, yeah, I'll take a nap now. You know, it's like, whoa. Maybe he thought he would change his own mind later. You know, you were saying exactly the same thing. I think that's the answer. Abraham knew his own heart. Even at 120 even though he was so faithful to God by now, even though he was so faithful to God that God could give himself the privilege of testing Abraham to this far extreme extent, something he never asked anyone else. He could ask because, you know, the Bible says he's gonna be, we're going to be tempted or tested as far as we can bear, right? This is as far as he could bear. None of us probably can. That's why we're not being tested that way. But he can. So Abraham knew that if he waited one more moment, he might change his heart. And he said, I got to do this now. I can't wait until my wife gets up. I can't wait for anybody else to be up to inquire about why we're taking off and where are we going and what's going on. I can't wait until my son is even fully awake. He probably woke up, you know, 20-year-olds can sleep pretty soundly. And, and, you know, here, son, let's go on a ride. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> he immediately obeyed because he knew his own heart. He says, I just may not if I wait another five minutes. Boy, what a profound lesson that is. That verse 3 Early in the morning. That verse 3 is extremely important when it comes to engaging with God. Whatever God says, do it immediately. Why? Because you wait and you just gave the devil an opportunity for you not to do what God has asked you to do. Warning. We've got to make sure God is speaking. Got to make sure that God is speaking, right? And not your imagination. 
Let's process that. It says that God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. On Mount Sinai, God would also test Israel. Again. Right? In uh, Exodus 20. Remember, God spoke to Israel. And God spoke from the mountain. And all the earthquakes and the lightning and all that. And what did the people, the leaders of Israel said to Moses about God's display? Oh boy, that's too much to handle. It's, uh, it's scaring us to death. We can't handle that. So uh, you speak to him. And uh, you come and tell us what he says. You know what they missed? Wow, think about that. Have you ever thought about it? God really, God really wanted to speak to them in plain language. Right there in that desert from the mountain. For two million people to hear. Wow! But they said... The Bible says that in Exodus 20. He tested them there. But they were not up to the test. And they missed everything. They, perhaps if they had been willing to hear God, that would have been sufficient for them to forestall any temptation to forget God 40, uh, 40 days later and make those uh, golden calves and in, in go berserk, in, which cost 3,000 people, the life of 3,000 people and all that. You can read all of that in, Genesis, in, in, in Exodus, right? If they had just done that. You see, God doesn't say, look, if you do this, there are 480 other items that will work well for you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't need to explain that to us. He doesn't owe us anything. And so when he says, look, do this one thing. In his mind, if you do this one thing, all of these other things are going to work out. If you do this one thing. Now we look at the one thing and we say, well, you know what? That doesn't seem to me so important. Why? Because we're not looking at the 489 things. We don't know. We, don't, we can't do it. We're finite. But if we were to do the one thing that God says, the one thing that is clear, whoa, all kinds of things would open up. All kinds of things would open up. God, that's the way God works. So Moses did the one thing he understood. He says, God says, take my son to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. That doesn't make any sense to me. But he said that, and I'm going to do it. And before I change my heart, my mind, I better do it now. This is what he may have processed. God or Satan, I know, Abraham must have said to himself, I know this was God's voice because I know his voice. There are ample evidence. He had been listening to God now very clearly for the last 45 years. He knew God's tone of voice. He knew his mannerisms. He knew when he spoke to him. He knew the time of day he comes around. He says, it's unmistakable. This is God. What he is saying is bewildering. But the fact that it is God, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. God gave me this boy as a promise, but he is, you know, it is his boy to begin with. He has the right to rec of recall. God does have the right of recall. Satan never gave me anything. Think about it, okay? And he doesn't usually ask for my will. 
And he doesn't usually engage. Satan doesn't engage into anything. He just kind of trips you and just points you in certain ways. He doesn't invite you to it. He just kind of pushes you there. And then once you're in it, he laughs with his demon and says, Ha, 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 got him on there. That's, that's, it is a totally different way of, of, of functioning. God, uh, Abraham knew how God functioned. And he says, this, 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 is, this is God. I, I can't understand the command, but I, I, I recognize the voice. Secondly, should I tell Sarah? Abraham must have reasoned. God did not say anything about checking with Sarah. He could have told me that. He certainly could have done so himself, right? God could have just checked with Sarah, right? It's not like we need to help God. Sometimes we think that we need to help God. And that was this trouble with Hagar, right? He says, I'm going to help you, God, accomplish what you said. So I'll mess around with Hagar. Huh? No. God, Abraham was mature enough at this point and said, you know what? God could have given her a dream just like he did with me. He could have talked with her just like he did with me if he wanted to. The fact that he didn't means something. So I'm not going to mess with that. I'm going to just assume that he didn't want her to know. When God spoke about Isaac's birth, she laughed. Sarah was not at the same level of total surrender and trust to God that's, that the Abraham was. She laughed. Her mother's heart may be too vulnerable to face the trial. And that is why the kindness of God, he didn't speak to Sarah. He just didn't speak to her because God loved Sarah and said, I'm not going to put a burden on you that you cannot even face. But he knew Abraham could. Thirdly, should I wait for confirmation? Does God not know what he is doing? Abraham, I imagine, must have thought, what right do I have to have the last word after God has clearly spoken? It was clear that God had spoken. So if God has spoken, why should I wait for confirmation? Why should I say, come again, tell me again? You know, some people quote Gideon and said, well, didn't Gideon do that? You know, he put the fleas out there and the fleas, um, were, you know, got all wet. And then they said, well, you know, there are some naturalistic explanations for that. Maybe let's do this so that the fleas is not wet. So he waited for confirmation. Well, the illustration of Gideon is not an example of faith. The illustration of Gideon is an example of doubt. It is an example of God's kindness with someone who can only go that far. And God only, this is the only guy, this is the best he could find. Gideon was the best he could find. That, like Jonah, that's the best evangelist I can find. Man, that's really bad. But that's the best he can find. <laughs> and so God works with who he has. So don't, don't look to Gideon as an example of, of that, of needing confirmation. No, if God has spoken clearly, that settles it. You can't, don't have the last word. Let God have the last word. God's promises are true. Abraham, I imagine him saying, he said, Isaac is the child of promise. Though I don't understand the request, he must be planning to raise him up because he is true to his word. So Abraham did take uh, Isaac to sacrifice him in Mount Moriah with a full conviction that that boy would be resurrected. 
Because God said that was the child of promise. And you can read that about that in Hebrews chapter 11. So Abraham rose early in the morning and went to the place of which God had told him. We can trust God to the point of swift obedience because he actually knows what he is doing even when we don't. Even when we don't. Even when we don't have all our pieces together. Listen to, to the statement. This is uh, A.W. Tozer, which I, I quoted to you before once. God let the suffering old man go through with it up to the point where he knew because, you know, he sent an angel to stop him. Up to the point where he knew there would be no retreat. And then forbade him to lay a hand upon the boy. To the wandering patriarch, he now says, in effect, it's all right, Abraham. I never intended that you should actually slay the, land, the lad. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart, that I might be unchallenged there. I wanted to correct the perversions that existed in your love. Now you may have the boy sound and well. In other words, what God was doing, he was doing Abraham a favor. He loved Abraham and he says, you, really, you have gone so far with me. You have gone farther than anyone else. Uh, let me test you so that you can go even farther. So that I can remove even the good things in your heart. So I can reign unchallenged there. You love this boy more than life itself. I want you to give it up. Give the boy up. Give that which you love the most up. I want, it, I want you to know that you will attend to my word even as more important than this very boy that you love with all your heart. Wow, that's why he is the father of the people of God. And the plan was for every offspring to live that kind of a life. A life of faith. Absolute trust in God. Isaiah 50, I quoted this before. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. This is a, in reference to the Messiah, to Jesus. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not disobedient. You notice that? I was not disobedient. Whenever Jesus, every single morning, what Jesus did is what Abraham did that morning. Whatever he heard from the Father, he did. He instantly, he got around and did it and moved on it. He moved on it. He did not delay. He did not await for anything different. Remember when the people of Israel were stricken with fiery serpents what happened huh terrible thing took place and God said I want you to build a bronze serpent that must have taken several a couple days at least so it wasn't an instant thing you know just put a serpent out there and, and, and then tell the people of Israel to look upon that serpent and they will be healed now how ridiculous is that think about it huh how ridiculous is that? The serpents are the very thing that is causing my death here. I don't want to see another one. And God says, I want you to look at this one. Because this is the one that I'm telling you about. I want you to look at that. Of course, that was a representation of Jesus on a pole. Jesus who became sin for us, right? 
something that they would understand, and they probably understood through Moses' teachings. Listen to what Ellen White says. The people of Israel well knew that in that semblance of a serpent was no healing virtue. They knew that. Moses had taught them, had, had, had helped them understand that. They knew that it was only a symbol of the Son of God, and that faith in the divine word and immediate action would be the power of salvation to them. So faith in the divine word and immediate action. That's it. Immediate action. Faith and immediate action. Trust in that, what God said. Look at that thing in order to be healed. So we are to be saved. So we are to be saved, not by any act which we can perform of ourselves, but by a simple obedience. And simple obedience here means simple trust, simple faith. Simple obedience by doing just as God has said. If God has clearly spoken, then we must act at once. We must first obey God in what He made clear for us to do and not worry about what it, what, what, that which is still unclear. I, that's, that was the thing. When I, was, when I was at the undergraduate, people would come to me and say, well, you know, but that's not clear. It's not clear. And so I would ask a question that would stump most students. So tell me what, what God has made clear to you. Well, what do you mean? That's the whole point. It's not clear. No, tell me what is clear to you. What, what is clear to you? Oh, well, what do you mean? What, what is clear about life, about things? What is clear to you? Well, and then they would repeat some things that are clear. Um, Sabbath is holy. That's clear. Huh? Um, <clears throat> need to surrender to God. That's clear. You know, things like that. I said, good. Are you doing that? And he said, well, sometimes, or, oh, not on this one. And then I would say, do that. It may have nothing to do with the problem you have right now. Just do what is clear now. Do what God has already made clear. Once you do what has already been made clear, maybe, maybe the other things will become clear. Many times God holds back clearing things up because he already told us the things that are clear and we're not doing them. And so as long as we're not doing why would he pile up things to, clear, to, you know, to make clear to us if we're not going to do anything about it? So we must first obey God in what he made clear to us to do and not worry about what, that which is unclear. Here, here's an example. A girl comes and says, you know, I'm in love with this guy. I, I sort of want you to bless it. I mean, what they're really looking is, is some affirmation. And so we talk about it, and, and she says, you know, but, you know, but she's not, he's not an Adventist. I've dated a lot of Adventists, and they're all, you know. <laughs> this guy, he loves me. He's so attentive. He comes to church with me. He, he's, he's a good man. So it's clear to me, she's not asking for counsel at this point. She just wants endorsement. And so I said, Peter, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to give, I can't give you endorsement. Oh, but Dr. Cluzet, I mean, this is, this is the best man I've ever dated. He may have been the best man, but you have clear counsel from Scripture. You should not even fool around with it. Because the Bible says that we should not be joined together with the ungodly, with things that are different from us. It, 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 God made it clear. So I said, that is already clear. It, it can be the, the most wonderful man in the world. It can be the most loving man in the world. But God already said, don't even mess with it. 
So that's the problem. Sometimes things are very clear. I had a student that came to me and says, a very, very bright student, says, Pastor Cluse, I, I have a problem with marijuana. I, I, I smoke marijuana on a regular basis. Nobody knew that. And he says, and I do that because my mind is just so, he was a brilliant guy, he really was. He says, somebody told me that this, this calms me down and I actually function better. And so I said, okay, what do you want me to do about that? And he says, well, you know, I mean, doesn't it make sense at times, you know, we're talking about medicinal purposes for marijuana, you know, that in California, we got that, right? And, and, and all of that. And I said, okay, what is clear? I said, tell me what does it mean for you to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? What does it mean? And so as we talked about it, but he, you know, he tried to weasel out of that and say, well, you know, but, yeah, but, 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 but. But the point is, that alters your, your mind. It denies your ability to face reality as it really is. It alters, it alters it. Anything else that is like that alters it. So that's already clear. That's already clear. The state of California may think that God is blessing people to smoke marijuana under certain circumstances. But God would say, you know, that's not the best. Uh, there's other alternatives. Besides, I want, I want that body to be free for it. Well, that is clear. What is clear, we need to do what is clear, even if it is unrelated to the things that we seek to understand God's will for. That is clear. If it is clear, let's do it. Let's just do what is clear. All right? Once, it is, once we do that. This, um, oh, yeah, I'll give you an example. This, this is my problem. What's the common denominator in all these pictures? Yeah. A big tube. That's me right there. No, that's not me, but it could be me. I love television, and I mentioned that to you. And, and I got it, you know, I, it, it's clear. What's clear? This is clear. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. That's clear. And uh, much of it is worthless. Okay, so that's clear. All right. You know, this is a picture of my family. I could have updated this. My wife, our daughter, our sons, our sons, Christopher and Alex. When we were younger, I really had a problem with TV. And my kids, especially the two younger ones, I found them to be kind of, you know, after school, like, boop, zombies. And I said, one day, I looked at them and I said, wow, they're just like me. And I was convicted. I said, it's like God was saying, haven't I been telling you this for years? And so I didn't, I didn't ask for a family consultation. I, I didn't check even with my wife. She, she, she can take it or leave it. She can handle that. And, and, um, and so the next morning I took that thing out and I took it out and I gave it to the goodwill. I don't know what goodwill that is, but anyway. They, <laughs> 
I gave it to the goodwill. And you know what amazing thing happened? Nobody recriminated me. I thought the kids were going to eat me alive. No. And two things happened. Immediately, two things happened. That was one of the, that's probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my whole life. Now, I'm not saying that you need to get rid of your TV. I'm saying that for me, that was clear because that was a problem. It's still a problem unless I, can, I, I keep it. You know, I can't take, I can't, you know, I can't get rid of the TVs every time I go to a different hotel room, you know, and I do a lot of that. So it's like, they would put me in jail. Anyway, the point is, the two things that happen is that immediately it helped our kids schooling. Why? They did homework at night instead of watch TV at night. The second thing it allowed us to have family worship, which we hadn't really had with any consistency before that. Amazing thing. Just the amazing thing. Do what is clear. And then other things will become clear. What about First Thessalonians 5? You know, that's clear. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. That's the will of God. That's clear. What do we do with that? Most of us ignore that. You know, says, well, you know, that doesn't mean, uh, uh, so I thank God for what I feel thankful about. No, thank God for everything. That's clear. Just do it. See what happens. Or what about Matthew 5? Give to everyone who asks of you. Turn the other cheek. Bless those that curse you. Well, that's clear. It's hard, but it's clear. Amen. Do it. Huh? Do it. If God has clearly spoken, we must act at once. The longer we wait, the fainter God's voice becomes, and the greater the tragic results. God expects this response. Catch this. And I have a fascinating story with which I'll close. God expects this response even from the heathen. He expects this response from people that don't know Him. You say, how could that possibly be? Here's a story that illustrates that. Catherine, Mar Catherine Marshall tells the story of Maud Blanch Blanford. She was a woman who got cancer. Cancer in her legs, kidney, cervix, too far for radi radiation to help much. She was, she was dying. Okay, it was just too much. Medicine couldn't help much anymore. So she was sent home to die. She had no spiritual resources, whatever. She didn't know how to pray. She'd never went to church. She'd never read the Bible. She didn't even, she didn't even held a Bible in her hand. Totally, totally secular person. Months later, there was a cerebral hemorrhage, and then she spent 12 days in a coma. All right, you say, how could uh, she ever respond to God? Somebody like that. And then she had a dream. Ah, God has ways. God has ways. And she saw that she was inside a roofless house, and it began to rain. And she was a, a, an industrial woman, evidently, because of her temperament. And she figured, you know, this house is going to get missing now. Why, you know, rain is going to ruin the furniture and all that, right? And then she wondered about the meaning. You know, look at the leap of logic. But this is God's Spirit working with people who don't know Him at all. The thought came to her. The thought came to her. The house is my body, but without Jesus as my covering, my body has no perfect protection. And she was surprised that she even thought that way says, Jesus? What Jesus? I don't even know Jesus. But she, she thought, I wonder if that's what it means. Huh? Look at this, the power of the Spirit of God. Huh? So her condition got worse for the next six months. She couldn't speak anymore. She, was, it, she had a hard time breathing. She, she suffered unbearable pain, even with the help of drugs, you know, to, to, to subside the pain. That was her condition. She determined to stop treatment. She says, this is a waste of time. 
On the way back, she broke down and wept. And she, for the first time in her life, she prayed to a God she didn't know. And she said, God, I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. I don't even know how to pray. Just, Lord, have your way with me. What a powerful prayer. That is the most powerful prayer anyone in this room or anywhere in the world can ever pray. Have your way with me. And when you mean that, boy, God is going to really act. And that's exactly what happened with this woman. Four days later, she was sitting on the porch. Catch this. Catch this, guys. It's not this. This is what he hears. This is what he hears in her mind. It's, it's not this the fast that I have chosen to lose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Then shall my, thy light break forth as, in the morn, as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily. Here I am. What is that from? Isaiah 58. This is what she hears in her mind. Okay? She had never heard, heard or read a word from the Bible before. She had never owned a Bible before. And she wondered, is this from the Bible? And the words came right back as soon as she thought it. Isaiah 58. So what did she do? She acted on it. She bought a Bible. She got a Bible. And she began reading it. And she would read it until 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning for weeks on end. Just, just couldn't get enough of it. Just read, 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 read. Somehow she developed this intense desire. Now, now, this is a good group to preach to, to, to tell this story because you guys will understand it better than other groups. You know, the eight laws of health. Developed an intense desire to be outdoors. The poor wretched invalid asked to go fishing. Now, what, what came over her to want to do that? She never wanted to do that before. She sensed that God would want her to praise and thank Him for His mercies. And so she did that all day long. Anytime she, now she started to move a little bit more. She was basically a paralytic by then. She started to move. And when she moved, she could, she could clean part of the kitchen counter. And she started praising God for that. Why? She had read it in the Bible. She had read it in the Bible. And so she praised God. She says, thank you, God. Thank you. That, wow, look at my hand moves. So she thanked God for that, right? And she went outdoors. Daily she thanked. She went to the lake and thanked Jesus. That's all she did. She just soaked up the breeze and under the sunshine and just sat next to her husband and thanked Jesus. She didn't even know him yet. But whatever impression, whatever God was uncovering for her, whatever God was bringing up to her, she responded to. As she became stronger, she began cleaning the house while praising God. Everything that she did was in His honor. Everything she did was in His honor. So she became a much, much more serious Christian before she even became a Christian. Think about it. One night she fell asleep with her Bible on her stomach. She, fell, she wanted to go to heaven to be with Jesus. And a voice said, my child, your work is not finished. And the next morning, she woke up completely healed. All he wants, like the song says, is you. All he wants is for you to respond him. He shows you one thing. Say yes to it. He shows you something else. Say yes to it. 
He says, go this way, go this way. You say, well, God, there's more complex things I need to know and understand. No, start with the simple things. Do the simple things and do like Abraham early in the morning. Get to it. Just get to it before you can change your mind. Because the devil, as soon as you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Get to it. Maud Blanchard responded to everything Jesus told her and gave her. The more she responded, the more Christ answered her unarticulated prayers. And that's the way it was with Moses. When Moses says, you know what, hey, I can't do this. He says, well, what is that in your hand? You know, do it. Oh, this is a story I'm not going to tell. The final analysis, the difference between life and death depends on how quickly we follow orders. Well, that was the story of Entebbe. I'll tell it to you. It only takes one minute. That famous uh, raid, you know, it was famous. Books, movies have been made about this. When uh, a group of uh, people, mostly Jews, were taken captive by, by um, terrorists, the government of Israel sent special forces that flew all night, all the way to Uganda. They assaulted the, the, uh, the airport. 106 six Jews were taken hostage. In Idi Amin's dictatorship, all right? Israeli commandos made a famous raid, flew all night, caught captors by surprise. In 15 minutes, they killed seven of them and saved everybody else. Everything was done in 15 minutes. What was the difference between those who lived and died? 103 were freed. Three Jews were killed. They killed seven terrorists. They, freed three, they killed three Jews. Why did they kill three Jews? Because when they came... They said in Hebrew, everybody down. The terrorists couldn't understand it. The Jews could. The three Jews that didn't obey got killed. What a good example. When they said, you know, that's exactly what it is. And the final analysis, the difference between life and death depends on how quickly we follow orders. The sooner we obey him, the better our chance to live. How true that is. I'm 52 years old. I wish I had been more obedient to Jesus when I was 20 and 25. I wish. I long to obey Him now. Don't wait. Don't wait until you're 50. Don't wait until you're 40. Don't wait until you're 30. Don't wait until you get married. Don't wait until you're done with school. Be obedient now. Trust Him now. God will give you the desires of your heart. God will see you through it. God can, with, with you, God and you, you are a majority. You really are a majority. God looks to and fro throughout the earth, looking for one person through whom he can show himself strong. And that person can be you. Don't wait, don't wait another day. Don't wait another week. Don't wait until you get back home, until GYC is over to say... I think I'm going to do God's will. Decide that now. Make a decision. What is clear, Lord? I want to do what is clear. I want to do what is clear to what you've made clear to me. I am willing to. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm too weak to do it. 
I'm too confused to do it, but I'm setting a decision, making my, my mind, I am going to do it with your will, with your strength, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to rise up in the morning, I'm going to Mount Moriah, I'm going to do this. Oh, how long, long, God longs to hear that kind of a thing, and I tell you that is the most powerful thing in the world. That is the most powerful thing in the world. The sooner we obey Him, the better our chance to live. Dwight L. Moody, when he was young, that's his picture when he was young. Henry Varley said, and he heard this when he was 18, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. And Dwight L. Moody that night in Chicago at the age of 18 said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. And he became that man. And thousands will be in heaven because of him. If there is anything that you know that he has made clear to you, by which you still need to obey him, I want, to, I want to invite you to stand and say, if, you're going, if you, there's something clear in your mind that you need to do, or you need to stop doing, if it is clear in your mind, you still have wrestled with that, you have not really acted on it, I want to invite you to stand and say, God, I, I'm deciding right now. I'm going to do this. Heavenly Father, you really love us. You really love us with an everlasting love. In a few minutes, you're able to tell us something that can change our lives. In a few minutes, you can change the entire situation of things. In a few minutes, you can you can unfold truth before our minds in such a way that we can see that truth and only truth will set us free. In a few minutes, you can reverse habits that have taken years, perhaps, to accumulate. We're standing here today all of us here have our set of weaknesses and failings. All of us here have our struggles, some great, some small. All of us here, because of the work of the Spirit of God, know right now of that one or two or three things that we know is clear in our minds that we're not doing or that we should stop doing. But we're standing today saying, Lord, here I am, weak and, and frail. Here I am. I, the only strength I have is the strength of decision. I have nothing else to back it up with. In the past, I may have wanted to do this or that, or may have wanted to stop doing this or that, but I have failed. But Lord Jesus, I'm saying to you today, if you're willing to take me, take me. I am here to be taken. And I know that you're willing because you invite us to do so.
you have said in your word, he who comes unto me I will in no wise cast out. And you, Lord, are powerful and are willing, oh, so, oh how willing you are to aid us, to make us walk in the path that we should walk, to show us the way, to enlighten our life, to help us see, to move us forward, to not look behind. Oh, you are so able to give us power and strength to accomplish what you want us to do. And we say to you today, have your way with us. Have your way with me, just like Maud Blanchard, Manford, said, Oh Lord, I don't even know you, but I'm telling you, you can have your way with me. Please have your way with us, Lord. Because then and only then we know deep in our hearts we will be happy, really genuinely joyful, joyful, filled strong, knowing that with Christ all things are possible. We will have found the joy of the Master. Be with us, we pray. Thank you that you have promised us to lead us in the way that we should go and to guide us with your eye upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.